Because as Christians, we're very leery around anger. Well, God gets angry, Jesus gets angry, Paul gets angry. Be angry and yet do not sin, the Bible says in Ephesians 4. There are times for healthy, righteous anger. And that's what I'm talking about here. And if your spouse is in serious sin, that's one of those times. Well, contrary to what you might hear from counselors or well-meaning friends, there are times, as our guest there, Dr. David Clark, suggests, that we should be angry. And on today's Focus on the Family, we'll talk about conflict and sin and keeping your marriage together even when it seems there is no hope. Our host is Focus President Jim Daly. I'm John Fuller, and we're also joined in the studio by Dr. Julie Slattery. John, recently we have really received a high number of contacts here at Focus from our listeners, people that are expressing that my spouse has come to me and said, I don't love you anymore. And we felt it was important enough to uh, hit this issue directly. And last time, uh, we talked very openly. I refer to it at the end of the program as if we had ripped the scab off the wound. Mm -hmm. And uh, as Christians, sometimes we avoid conflict. We avoid the tough discussion in our marriages, the tough dialogue. But God does work in crisis. He works in a moment where you don't know what to do. And we want to continue that discussion today with Dr. David Clark, author of the book, I don't love you anymore. When you hear those words, what do you do? Uh, David, it is wonderful to have you back here at Focus. Well, it's great to be back. Well, he's a licensed psychologist in practice for over 20 years and a very popular conference and seminar speaker. And he's also written a book called I Don't Want a Divorce. Now, Dr. Clark and his wife, Sandy, have been married for 30 years, and uh, you said you've got a grandbaby coming on we the way. We have here. one. I'm too young for this. What's going on? <laughs> I'm a little freaked out, but it's very exciting. Mm. Mm. Well, David, we're so grateful that you've joined us to talk about this very difficult issue, and it represents some of the deepest pain that people can walk through when their marriage is falling apart. And it also represents a quandary because we know that the Bible says to show mercy and to turn the other cheek and to be meek. But the Bible also says to speak the truth in love and to confront each other when there's sinful behavior. And uh, you really feel that many are lacking that last piece of advice, that there is a time and a place to get angry in marriage. Right. I think it's vitally important, often missed in the Christian community. You don't hear many sermons on the need to be angry. You hear many on the need not to be angry and how to avoid it. Hmm. Scripture's clear. There is a time to be angry. There's a time for righteous anger. It's part of who God made us. Part of God's very nature is angry. When you have the Israelites on your hands, you're going to get angry, and he did often, but always for a purpose. And that's what I'm trying to focus on in the book, too. You're angry for a purpose, not just to be angry, to be healthy, to cause change in yourself, to forgive, to begin a process of healing, and to motivate the partner who's just told you, I don't love you. This is appropriate, and it's for a purpose, just as God would do it, and hopefully it will end up with restoration. But if you lay over and die and say, gosh, I'm devastated, I stay devastated, I'm going to start chasing you because you don't love me, you lose. I've never seen that work. What's the risk in that victim mentality? You're touching on it, but be more explicit. Uh, for the woman who hears that news and just looks inward and says, what have I done to cause this? What's the risk in her heart? Very high. You're not going to make yourself even more vulnerable. And you're really going to lose weight, and, and I've had ladies go to the gym, and, and I'm going to clean the house better. And often they're instructed by their pastor to do these things. So you look even more pathetic. Now, when you tell me I don't love you more, you have no respect for me. Now, I'm going to even disrespect myself in chasing you. This is wrong. It's not biblical, and it doesn't work. I've never seen it work. I've heard experts actually say, you spend 30 days just loving the serious sinner, loving the person who doesn't love you back, and they'll respond. No, they won't. They have no reason to. You are now really pathetic. And they're going to continue to reject you, and now you're going to be into a clinical depression 
Hmm. which we really don't want. You've got to stand your ground and say, and push back. Now, you're willing to look at any of the marital issues. If they're not in serious sin, you're willing to look at, okay, what's caused this? Will you work with me on this? I say, fine, let's get to it. Often that's not the case. They're saying, I'm through. Hmm. David, what about a situation, we talked last time about the very obvious sins like adultery, uh, like pornography, but there are many situations, many marriages where the love has grown cold and you hear that statement, I don't love you, I don't know if I ever have, but for the sake of the kids, I agree to do this marriage thing. I'm not going to go to counseling, I don't think there's hope for intimacy with us, but I agree to stay married. What does a person do in that situation? Mm-hmm. Do they um, initiate conflict and a confrontation, or do they remain faithful in walking through that? Well, I'd say both. If you're not going to, you, you drop this on me, and you're not willing to work on it, you're pretty much done, but you're staying for the kids, this is highly insulting to me, and in fact to the institution of marriage, which is sacred. So I would say if you stay in there, now you're in serious sin. And so I would go into a tough love stance. With the help of my excellent therapist, Dr. Dave Clark, I'm going to be angry. I'm going to take a stand. I'm going to stay in the marriage, but I'm going to make it very uncomfortable for you. What does that look like? To make here's it what it looks like. You will, in my way of thinking, if you, you will gather a support team. If you're going to stick, I've confronted you now as per Matthew 18. I've, we've had the individual confrontation. You have failed that first step. Now I'm going to broaden the net. I'm going to, I may give you a few weeks to respond, but if you have not, then I'm going to start immediately responding. I'm going to gather a support team. I'm going to talk to my folks. I may talk to your parents. I may talk to the children. I'm going to talk about this issue, close friends. So I now have, I now have a support team who's praying and behind me. Then I'm going to give you, according to Scripture, 1 Thessalonians 5, I'm going to give you two warnings in two days. I'm going to say, I, I come back, and I want you to respond. I, we need to see a Christian counselor. I have one picked out. We can see someone that you want to see. And if you refuse those two warnings, then, according to Scripture, I'm going to shun you. I'm going to spend five days where... It's as if our relationship doesn't exist. It's as if you don't exist. That's tough love. I'm going to ignore you, basically. Now, the kids will know what I'm doing because they have to. And you're careful with the kids because, depending on their age, you have to be age-appropriate with what's happening. But we're trying to save a marriage here. See, if I do it the, the normal Christian way, I'm going to wait six months, I'm going to wait a year while our marriage dies, and I'm in clinical depression, and you could care less, and then you're going to probably going to find someone else and dump me. I do not... Uh, I'm not in favor of that, and God's not in favor of that, so I'm going to be very upfront. Now, the beauty of this is, if you respond after five days of being ignored, we go, we see a Christian therapist, uh, I forgive, we get in the right track, I'm trying to shake you up. If you don't respond to that, then I'm going to, with the guidance of my support system, I'm going to talk to my pastor, he'll be on board, and then we go through the, the Matthew 18 steps. I'm going to bring back one or two witnesses, confront you again. I'm going to take it to the church, and we'll see if the church leaders will confront you. Many won't, some will. And then I'm going to talk about physical separation, if I can afford it. So this is, I mean, this is tough. Some of this advice, though, seems a little contradictory to what it says in First Peter 3. In a situation where a wife is married to an unbelieving husband, uh, he is distant spiritually, at least, if not emotionally. And the advice there is to live a reverent life. Don't nag him. Don't go after him. Just live a life before the Lord that is pure with a quiet spirit. Uh, how do you reconcile those two together? Well, if you've got a decent husband. See, this we're not talking about two different things. If I have a husband who has rejected me, who doesn't love me, and who has no intention of changing, that's not First Peter 3. That's Matthew 18, I think. That is a serious sinner. And what I'm trying to do, and, and keep in mind, the, the goal here is not to punish you. It's to motivate you with Scripture, our scriptural tough love stand, so you will repent, you will break, and we can have a great marriage. 
Many would use the first period of three as, and just keep doing that. I've never seen it work. I've been at this for 25 years. It doesn't work. Not, not with a guy that's really a problem, a man who doesn't love me. That won't work. You know, Julie, as I hear Dr. Clark, I'm thinking there are listeners whose jaws are on the floor right now because you just outlined very biblical steps, but but very contradictory to how we how we operate. We we tend to think in the Christian community in particular that, well, it's it's love to put up with that. But what you're saying, Dr. Clark, is it's enabling to put up with that. Mm. That's exactly what I'm saying. And part of it is distinguishing between Matthew chapter 18 is talking when a brother sins, so someone who's a believer. First Peter 3 is talking about an unbeliever and our approach to sin in an unbeliever's life, as I understand scripture, is quite different even within marriage. Yeah, I, I see that so differently. And I've had cases, many cases, where this, this person's not a Christian. They still could care less about the marriage. Well, they, the only chance they may have to come to Christ is with a tough love response by the wife. That person's going to hell. A one-way ticket. And if nothing's done maritally, but then that, that could certainly happen. And you're clear on this. It, it comes across, I guess, as harsh. I don't mean to be harsh. It's just tough. It's tough love. And that woman is hanging in there. Now, she's staying in the marriage. I would not have her do anything but stay, but she's being very hard and tough, and this is what I want to see happen. That can change the whole respect scenario, get the man's attention. And if he does begin to respond, then everything changes. You don't have to be tough love at that point. Yeah. Dr. Clark, we've talked uh, a lot about the offended spouse. Let's concentrate uh, for a moment on the one who's created the offense. Again, we've talked about affairs or pornography, whatever it might be. Uh, what is the result of that tough love? What should that spouse who's offended the other spouse, how should they be receiving this in a healthy biblical way? Well, when it works, um, I get broken. No change happens apart from brokenness and true repentance. So we're looking for complete brokenness. Not, I'm sorry I hurt you, but I'm not going to see a therapist. No, absolute and complete brokenness. And if I am not allowed to face the consequences of what I'm doing to my marriage and family, I'm not going to change. And if I'm a non-Christian, it's even worse. I think this is fine. I have no spiritual guide to help me. And so I'm thinking this is, I'm actually doing a good thing by staying with you when I'm not. I am destroying my children's security. They see day in and day out me mistreat my wife and she's crying. And that's devastating for kids. So I think a different approach is what's required. Again, the point being, if I totally break, I could come to Christ if I don't know Jesus. I could come back to Jesus if I do know him. But again, this is in the context of marriage. It's the most sacred relationship. Uh, Non-Christian or not, God has the same standards. So if you break those standards, you've got to have someone come against that. The only person that can is the spouse, ultimately. David, there are some marriages where both people would identify themselves as the victim. And perhaps there isn't an obvious sin where you can point and say, this is the one who's most at fault. But both feel self-righteous and that you haven't met my needs. I need to confront you. The other one's saying, well, you haven't met my needs. I need to confront you. And they never come to the point of reconciliation because they both feel justified in the kind of anger that you're talking about. How do you get past that? Here's what I do. The first step in counseling when I have two people in the room is always and forever, what have each of you done wrong? They're, you know, they're firing the missiles at each other you've seen a million times. And I'll say, you know, you, you've talked about your wife here, sir, and all her issues, and you're probably exactly right. You live with her. However, it's not helpful at this point. And ma'am, you've blamed him for this. I'm sure you're right. You live with him. You should know. But that's not how any change occurs. So what I want you to do is to go home and write me a letter. I it's a letter to your spouse in two parts. First part being what you have done wrong in the marriage. You know, mention your partner. What have you done wrong? Oh, the jaws that drop on that. 
even a couple of little points, it gives me like an edge and I can say, well, that's those are the things that you're going to now start to work. I must spend two weeks working on your side of things. That's three quarters of the battle right there if I can get that done. Mm. I won't see them if they won't do that. That's how important it is. Dr. Clark, uh, one thing we hear from our friends uh, is this issue of separation. We haven't really touched on that. Uh, when is it appropriate for a spouse to separate? Is it appropriate for a spouse to separate? I think it is, but only I, ho I hold that as a last resort. This is a serious situation. There are financial repercussions. It, it affects the children. It is a serious situation, so it's the last thing you do. And I believe it's the last thing recorded in Matthew 18, this confrontation of the sinner which could be a spouse, this is the context we're dealing with. So if all the other steps are taken, all the other confrontations, and change, you know, attempted, and I've gone to my church, and I've had one or two witnesses, okay, and I get, if after two or three months, I have no response, then I start thinking of separation. At first, I, would, I recommend shunning. I'll have them shun for up to a month. Five days is tough enough. Let's go to a month where we really have no relationship. I don't say hello. I don't have sex with you. I don't wash your clothes. I don't sit with you in church if you're even going to church anymore. If that doesn't do it, then you know you have a serious stiff neck sinner. Then we start looking at separation. If you cannot afford to separate, then with your support system, you create space in the home. But I think there is a time for it, but only if everything else is tried and the sinner remains stuck in their sin, stiff necked, rebellious against God is what's really happening. It's nothing to do with the spouse. It's about God. I choose to continue to sin. Well, we, we have to come against that. Mm. And we want to be really clear that we're talking about serious sin issues. Uh, unfortunately, there are people who hear this and say, well, my husband loses his temper every now and then, and so I'm going to shun him. That's not what we're talking about. No, or my not. wife spends too much on the credit card. She won't listen to what I'm saying. We're talking about the kind of sin, uh, sexual sin, uh, pornography, addictions like gambling addiction, alcoholism, drug addiction, uh, where there needs to be a serious confrontation. We're not giving license mm. to withhold affection for things that um, are normal marriage difficulties. And Dr. Clark, we need to be clear about that because so many people, we don't do this well. We don't have good training in how to shun. I mean, what church teaches shunning? <laughs> I mean, it's just not <laughs> More something should. that they have don't. a class on Yeah, shunning. it's not something that we do with any kind of uh, capability. And so when I'm hearing the discussion, I'm thinking about that couple that really doesn't understand how to do this. And, and the, the person particularly who uh, will misapply this. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And I think there is a danger there, Julie. And we have to be careful, which is a good reason for people to read your book to better understand the, the concepts of what you're describing here. The goal, it sounds like, is always for the one who's offended, the goal is to restore the marriage. And you're dogged about that because that's important. I think what happens, though, people, particularly a bruised wife, I can only imagine, uh, doesn't see that clearly. It's about revenge. It's about getting what I'm owed here. It's not about the marriage anymore. Is that common? I see it. I wouldn't say common, but it's not uncommon. And when I see that, then it's my job to firmly go after that person. You are now harboring your anger. It becomes your protection. It becomes your sheath of, you know, I, I'm angry, and so he'll never hurt me again because I'm just stay angry. Well, that will destroy you. Is that sin begetting sin? Oh, yeah. Then, then you have crossed now into sin. 
And there's reasons why, always there's reasons why in her life, that bitter woman, why she's like that. This guy isn't the first person that's hurt her. Guarantee you that. It was dad. It was grandpa. It was somebody in her past. And it's not even the husband. So we have to together heal her from that. Mm -hmm. And we get restoration going. This is really clear when it comes to a full-blown affair. How about some of these fuzzy issues? Uh, Say, for example, you're married to a woman who is having an emotional affair online or who is very flirtatious or a man who you suspect is doing things that are inappropriate as he travels, but you're not sure. Do you shun in those situations? Only when you find out the truth. You should now explore and find out the truth. And an emotional affair, in my mind, is just as serious as a physical one, and and the same steps apply, and it's broken the marriage bond, so we still go after that. And I recommend, if you have any question, you ask, but you also become an investigator. Mm -hmm. And Sandy knows she has full access to my phone records. There is no password on anything in our home, and there shouldn't be in any home. If someone's got a password, there's only one reason for that, and it's not a good one. So... Oh, that's my work stuff. Don't go there. There's to be no password, and so you check. And so you, if you find out that they're serious in operating, well, then you, you go through the steps. Of course, if we have the repentance that can come quickly, well, then that obviously softens the entire process, and, and you take a different route. Mm. But if you don't, well, then you're going to have to keep being tough. So I say, look, check. Look through his briefcase. Uh, more and more women now, the incidence of uh, sexual sin is rising in terms of the emotional relationships. Not good. Devastating. It has to be addressed. One thing I think is important is to define what is an emotional affair. I I could say an emotional affair is a slight flirtation at work. I could say it's because someone emailed a few times a friend from the past. How do you know when this has become dangerous in your own life and in your spouse's life? You'll be shocked to hear that I have a very broad definition of emotional affair. And it's any relationship that's beyond a reasonable, I call a reasonable social and or business level. And I, my belief is it's a slippery slope. If I've just gone just one step down the slope, I'm in trouble. I'm sinning. The decisions we make to sin are, are made at the very beginning of the process. So I, mm-hmm. I will allow, even if it's very early on, we quash it, we call it sin, because there's justifications that come in. Well, I've only emailed her two times. Why did you email her two times? Well, I knew her back in junior high. What kind of feelings? I'm, I just probe. What kind of feelings do you have? Well, I, it was pretty exciting, and I okay. We've got a problem. Satan has got you. He's got you right now. You don't even know it. The snare. Oh yeah, he's a master, and he'll be whispering in your ear. Well, this isn't that big of a deal. You love your wife. You love your husband. This is like a, this is fine. No, it's not fine. Couples that are married, in my opinion, it's very dangerous to have any relationship of any kind of of personal talking about your past and your issues with any person of the opposite sex. We have couple friends. And so you'd be very careful. And and so some people can pull this off, but not many. Satan's just too good. David, we've talked a lot about the process of shunning and engaging and fighting for your marriage. Talk about the process of forgiveness, because that we think we know it, but we may not. Now, forgiveness takes time. It is required. We are commanded to forgive. If you have an affair on me or whatever serious sin you have, and you do not repent, I still must forgive you. This will not be the reconciliation forgiveness we are hoping and praying for, potentially, but I still must forgive you. This takes time. Now, I cannot forgive you unless I'm appropriately angry with you. I go through the steps of trauma recovery with or without your permission or your help. Um, I will have to write letters. I will have to uh, express my pain over and over. I'll have to deal with the details. This is just trauma recovery. If I get stuck in trauma recovery, I will not be able to forgive you. I can say it and I can pray it, but I won't do it. 
It is spiritual, fundamentally, but it is also psychological forgiveness. You've got to go through certain steps or you don't get it done. And then if I can't forgive you, that harms me incalculably. So I've got to get it done. And it's obviously easier if you're responding and you're repenting through the process. Okay, that's still hard, but doable. It's a lot harder if you're not repenting. And I have to go through a divorce process or some long-term, but I still have to get it done. And so those steps are psychological and spiritual. God will enable you to forgive, but you, you go through certain steps as he changes you. God is not in favor, even if it could happen. If I could forgive you right now for all the things you've done to me, I would learn nothing. Our marriage wouldn't change. God would not be glorified. So it doesn't happen that way. Hmm. These ceremonies of, of forgiveness, I have so many clients come to me, they tried a ceremony, a prayer vigil, and it didn't work. I said, there's psychological work to do. God will get it done, but it gets his work accomplished over the six months it may take you. That's how God chooses to work. What's the, uh, the bad fruit in a person's heart that uh, never does forgive? Oh, it's an ugly mess. Any weakness you have psychologically, we all have them. If I'm prone to depression, I'm going to be clinically depressed. I'm prone to anxiety, I'm going to have a serious anxiety problem. If I'm prone to any kind of an addiction, that's where I'm going to go. Physically, it will attack me. Well, I have physical weaknesses as well. Heart problem, that's where it's going to get me. Kidney problem, what is your family history? I'll tell people this. That's where it's going to attack you and potentially kill you. Mm. The power of unforgiveness and bitterness held in, it's just, it, it will color every relationship you have. It will then, the worst thing is, it separates you from God. This is the most serious consequence. So you got to get it done. This is not an option. The world would say, and I've heard experts that are secular, that are clueless, of course, no biblical foundation, say, well, you, you should have, you, how can you forgive someone who abused your child or whatever it might be, some horrible circumstance? You know what? God says something different. That will take time, but not to forgive is devastating. Holding that grudge, which the world would say, yeah, you're entitled, it destroys people. Mm -hmm. And from a secular point of view, there's no way of forgiveness. The only way that we can forgive someone who's hurt us that much is knowing that we've been forgiven and knowing the love of Christ. Right. Uh, and it's so key that you've said, David, that there is a point where your heart turns from anger to forgiveness and mercy and allowing God to be the one who's in charge of judgment. True. Yeah, the world has no remedy for this. Dr. Clark, as we come down, last time we talked about some very serious issues. We've continued today. I hope that we've provided some help. I would really appreciate hearing from you uh, on the success rate. Uh, let me frame it this way. You say that most marriages uh, fail not because adultery has taken place, but because couples fail to do the work involved to heal their relationship. Uh, as we wrap up, take a minute to give us your best argument <laughs> for why all this work and pain will be worth it. I would say this. I have, I have scores and scores and scores of stories I could tell you of how this approach, which I believe is biblical, works. Healing takes place. Repentance takes place. People come to Jesus. Uh, they have a brand new marriage. It's in crisis God does his best work. I mean, that's the whole point of the process. Do you see in those marriages a different and perhaps greater strength between those couples that have fought through these issues? No question. They'll say, and they're telling the truth, this is better than it ever was before. That's what God wants. Absolutely, 100% better. Hmm. Dr. David Clark, uh, author of the book, What to Do When Your Spouse Says, I Don't Love You Anymore. Uh, thank you for addressing these tough issues. Thank you for bringing a measure of hope from a biblical perspective on how we can make our marriages not only survive, but thrive. And that's our goal here at Focus on the Family. I'm so thankful we're able to partner 
in this way to bring uh, restoration and hope to couples who are struggling. And can I say to you, if you're struggling in your marriage, call us here at Focus on the Family. We have counselors to help you. This is our mission, to put an arm around you and help you not only uh, survive in your marriage, but to have a marriage that reflects the love, grace, and hope that we find in Jesus Christ. Uh, Don't hesitate. Don't be bashful. Don't feel shame. Call us to get the help you need. Uh, Dr. Clark, again, thank you for being with us. Well, thank you so much for addressing this tough issue and and having me. Well, we've spoken quite candidly about some tough stuff uh, these past couple of days, and maybe you're thinking, oh, you guys nailed it. You described where I'm at and what my spouse has done, and now I know what I have to do, but I'm not sure what the next steps are. If that's you, then please, I'll urge you to find a trusted friend or pastor in your area that you can confide in and uh, work your way through some of these uh, difficult decisions ahead of you. Our program today was provided by Focus on the Family. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team here, thanks for listening in. I'm John Fuller. It was almost shocking to hear what Dr. Clark said about a tough love approach to a spouse who's not playing their part in a marriage and seems to have very little interest in making the marriage work. It may have sounded extremely harsh, but what struck me most about Dr. Clark's advice is that he's used this very approach to help so many marriages, and he's seen the success of this way of dealing with a sinful spouse in his years and years of marital counseling. Of course, God plays a core role in the healing process. And as Dr. Clark mentioned, it may take years for the healing to fully take place. Our recommended resource today is a book by Vicki Rose called Every Reason to Leave and Why We Chose to Stay Together. If you're in the black hole of marital despair, thinking about divorce and wondering if it's worth the effort to stay married, this book is for you. It's a personal and detailed story of one couple's unbelievable marital journey. Visit safamily.co.za or give us a call on 031-716-3300 to order your copy. At the heart of Focus on the Family, we're about marriage and family. And that's why every year during the first week of September, we celebrate SA Marriage Week. And I'd like to invite you to visit the website directly at samarriageweek.co.za or log on to our website at safamily.co.za and you'll find the link there. We're sending out content on a daily basis to help your marriage thrive. And please remember that we have trained counselors who would count it a privilege to talk with you and help you in your marriage. Visit our website and click on the counseling link or call us to be put in touch with someone who can help. Thanks for joining us for today's Focus on the Family. I'm Graham Schnell inviting you back next time when we'll once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.